0: I'm Manila Chan, you are tuned into Modus Operandi. This week, we'll examine Africa and the continent's plight for energy independence, a land that is so rich in resources has been kept economically stunted by many players in the West seeking to exploit those fossil fuels for themselves. As a modern Africa seeks to use its own resources for its own people, find out who is getting in their way next. All right, let's get into the MO. It's no secret that the United Kingdom, the French, and the Dutch have all at one point been colonial powers across the African continent. And while these places have given up their imperial claims, a new type of colonialism has emerged. It's called energy colonialism. And developing nations called this out at the COP27 climate summit in Egypt. Listen.
1: We have placed our trust in Western experts who have pushed false solutions and urged us to compromise for the good of the process. It's hard to conclude that this strategy has been anything but a failure. The decision makers, those in real power, simply do not care.
0: Now, the issue is this. Wealthy Western nations want Africa to quit their fossil fuel ambitions Ignore that some African nations are sitting on a wealth of natural gas. Abandon a reliable source of energy the continent needs, which would provide a new sense of independence for the entire bloc and instead turn to green energy. For more on this, we will bring in Mr. N.J. Ayuk. He's the executive chairman of the African Energy Chamber, based in Johannesburg, South Africa. Thank you for being with us, NJ. Thank you so much for having me. Africa is rich in natural resources. The whole world knows this fact, yet the continent remains what they say is energy starved or in perpetual energy poverty. Can you please explain for us what energy poverty means and why the continent is a patchwork of access to electricity?
1: Energy poverty is a big problem in our continent. And energy poverty comes from the 600 million people in Africa that do not have access to electricity, 900 million that do not have access to clean cooking. And even those that have some kind of electricity, you still see a lot of problems. For example, in Johannesburg, South Africa, where I am right now, we're still seeing issues around load shedding and some of the big cities, you're still seeing inadequate energy access. That is a big problem. And with something that we call it energy poverty, while we are resource rich, we are still energy poor. And that is an African problem and that exists in, in this continent today.
0: COP 27 in Egypt concluded, and it was my estimation that many Western leaders have effectively called on African states to abandon use of their own natural fossil fuels. Please correct me if I'm wrong there. But given the inconsistency of access to power on the continent, is this a realistic demand from these Western powers?
1: No, that's not a realistic demand. And I think Africa should not head that call to abandon its natural resources in favor for development aid and loans and and, um, big support from Europe that would never come. I think we are the moment in history where only us are going to be able to lift ourselves out of energy poverty and really industrialize. We think energy poverty and climate change are two sides of the same coin. And it is a little bit difficult for everyday Africans to understand that Western countries that have used oil and natural gas and coal to be able to power the economies, develop and build big cities, have massive, massive sovereign wealth funds, are now denying Africans that same opportunity in the name of, of climate change. Africa's greenhouse gas emissions are very low. African countries will not be abandoned, abandoning their natural resources in favor of development aid, Let's not forget development aid has been promised in the past by um, in cop and since they had these um, climate um, mitigation funds of one of um, one hundred billion dollars for 13 years those funds never came. It is $1.3 trillion that have not been paid. But even with those funds, it's still not going to get us into development. So there is no way on earth African countries who countries will be abandoned their natural resources and gas, especially when even the same developed nations have gone back to using natural gas to power their economies during this winter.
0: I've recently heard the term energy colonialism. How do you interpret that? Does that term resonate with you
1: it does resonate some of the some of the rhetoric that we've seen during this entire climate and energy debate has been very colonial in nature it has been that somebody from a wealthy country would dictate to poor countries in Africa, the kind of energy sources she use, the kind of energy choices she use. And also, there is also been threats and has been lectures and been misinformation and sometimes personal attacks. And then there is that sense of, let, of not even letting Africans make their own choice. We think we're smart enough, we're educated enough, we've come along very well. Some of us have been lucky to get great education from African universities, European universities, Russian universities, Chinese universities, that we can really be able to make our own choices and choose for what is good good for ourselves. The rhetoric that we've seen come from very wealthy countries has been something that has been um, shamefully and and dishonestly colonial. And it's something that we regret the most because we never felt after the fights of civil rights, human rights, independence, our generation of Africans would have to live and have to deal with this kind of rhetoric and would have to still experience this. It is something that is very disappointing. That in 2022, going into 2023, young Africans have to still deal with this legacy, and it looks like it's uh, it is it is rain its ugly head back again.
0: Now, speaking of colonialism, uh, Emmanuel Macron seems to be making a. Pitch to France's former colonies to strengthen ties. Do you suspect his efforts are rooted in gaining access to the Francophone era region's natural resources, including, but not limited to, natural gas?
1: Absolutely. I think France has been a very, very key, important part in Africa's uh, in, in involvement in Africa. They have this strong sense of what they call France-Afrique, and it has played a big role in how you've developed some of these countries. I think there is a new generation around Africa, especially young people, that are basically questioning those ties because some of those ties have resulted in them not being having opportunities at home and the only opportunities that lie out for them is them crossing the Mediterranean to go right back to France and other Western countries to look for opportunity. They wanna change that. They want to do a reverse immigration and say, let's build it within Africa. So anything that comes with a strong approach on, keeping former colonial ties that is going to be based on grabbing african resources whether it is um, um, critical rare earth minerals cobalt lithium platinum uranium and different things that we could use to power economies and drive the supply chain it's something that we, we must guard against but we're not going to get involved in resource nationalism but there must be a respectful relationship between Africans and France, especially if it's former French colonies. That is what I hear every day, people, as I travel around Africa and most African officials. And it's important that that message is sent and the French government should respect that.
0: All right, NJ Ayuk is staying with us. Coming up next, as the World Bank and European Investment Bank divest from Africa. Russia and China are moving in. We'll discuss it when we return. Sit tight, the M.O. will be right back.
1: der russischen Städte-Kontroll-Narrative. Als Teil der Sanktionen gegen Russland gehen die westlichen Länder gegen russische Ausland-Sender vor.
0: Aber hörst du, Herr, es ist nicht für Sie, wer ist Journalist oder nicht in diesem Land. Wir sind in Frankreich, das ist nicht möglich.
1: Wir werden in der Europäischen Union banen the Kremlin's media machine the state owned russia today and sputnik rt sputnik even our video agency Roughly, all banned on youtube
0: et merci à vous tous pour votre fidélité et votre soutien
1: What we've got to do is identify the threats that we have.
0: It's crazy.
1: Confrontation, let it be an arms race. Who is on offense? Very dramatic uh, development. I personally am going to resist. I don't see how that strategy will be successful. Very critical time. Time to sit down
0: and talk. Hi, I'm Rick Sanchez. And I'm here to plead with you. Whatever you do, do not watch my new show.
1: Seriously, why watch something that's so different? Why listen to opinions that you won't get anywhere else? Look, if it pleases you to have the State Department, the CIA, weapons makers, multi-billion
0: dollar corporations choose your facts for you, go ahead. Why change? And whatever you do, don't watch my show. Stay mainstream, because I'm probably gonna make
1: you uncomfortable. My show is called Direct impact. But again, you probably don't want to watch it because it might just change the way you think.
0: Welcome back to the MO. I'm Manila Chan. So, as wealthy Western institutions attempt to push Africa towards green energy, Africans are pushing back. NJ Ayuk, thank you for sticking with us. So, the entire sub-Saharan region produces just about 0.55 percent. That's less than a full percent of the world's carbon emissions. Yet both the European Investment Bank and World Bank have chosen to defund developments in Africa in favor of what they say combating climate change. Why and how do you view this move by them?
1: That is the greatest injustice that you can do to Africa. And I think most people don't realize They're cut of funding against coming into African fossil fuels, especially natural gas projects, when we need it the most. Look at the natural gas byproducts, urea, ammonia, NPK, fertilizer plants that can drive Africa, boost jobs, generate opportunities. Africans have been shut out. Africans are being cut out, and this is really hurting Africa the most than is hurting um, Western countries. Take, for example, the hypocrisy in this and how how, how we've been approached by this. Europe declared that gas is green, and so, but, but now if gas is green for Europe, why is it not green for Africa? They're getting funding from the same European investment banks, from the same Western financial institutions when it comes to Europe. But when it comes to the poor people of the world living in Africa, gas is bad for for them. But at the same time, they turn around to see the limited gas available for Africans to be able to get out of energy poverty and drive up the economies and create jobs and create opportunities and lift people up and give them hope. Europe, European countries are asking to offtake and take this gas into European economies, so that they can have a better quality of life when their own financial institutions refuse and, and have banned um, funding coming into Africa. That is the great. That is the greatest injustice to this continent choking it away from financing when it comes to its natural gas, when it comes to its fossil fuels. South Africa is in the dark. Some of the A-grade coal um, coal is being exported to Germany and other European countries. Why South Africa cannot have A-grade coal to really drive up South Africa and, and power South Africa? So you've seen six, seven, eight hours a day with people in the dark. That is Africa's most industrialized nation. That is very, very tough. And I think everyday Africans are very connected. African um, business is very connected today and they are looking at this and they're nodding their head in disagreement with what is happening in the international community. That is unjust and it needs to change right now.
0: Conversely, Russia appears to be expressing interest in working with African states. A project being considered is a massive Nat gas pipeline from Nigeria to Morocco, which runs approximately 5,600 kilometers. Now, this next question is two parts. First, what would such an ambitious project such as this mean to the continent? And second, if this project came to fruition, would there be any fears that the West might sabotage it, similar to what happened with the Nord Stream pipelines, which so far evidence seems to point to the US and UK having worked covertly to destroy?
1: We don't believe that any parties would sabotage it, but we don't take that off the table. But yes, what we believe. That pipeline is so critical, it's so important For it to be built, and we've seen Russian companies, which are some of the best when it comes to building pipelines, getting involved. Part of the conversation in the past, about ten years ago, Gazprom was heavily involved in discussions with Nigeria and Niger and Morocco in moving that in moving that project forward together with Algeria. And I'm very happy that those discussions are ongoing to be able to build that pipeline to evacuate a lot of gas resources and stranded gas that that is needed in the world market because everyday people need it. One of the key things we have to we have learned and understood is that we can learn of the mistakes around the North Stream pipeline and do everything that is has to be built. But also we have to look at some clay issues that are going to keep this pipeline difficult. That is the access to capital, access to funding, and getting it done fast, and we, and getting that project moving again. This is time for us to get that done, and we cannot wait to get that done. I think most Africans are really, really excited about this because it will be a good way to ev- evacuate gas and be able to get the forex. But at the same time, there's going to be domestic gas obligations that a lot of Africans will be able to benefit
0: from. Now, you have been quoted in the press as having some skepticism over unkept promises by the U.S. and other Western states. Can you elaborate on what those unkept promises were?
1: We've been promised a lot in the past when we, with climate funds that never came. Climate mitigation funds, they promised $100 billion. Africans, um, it came with a bounce check. Did that check bounced, we didn't see any of that. But moreover, the idea that we're going to get out of this quagmire by expecting funds coming in as aid it has not helped us. Eight hundred billion dollars has been spent on aid programs across Africa, and we still in we still in a difficult position. So you got to have to look at how you develop markets and let Africa make their own choices. Let them build this by themselves. Then us abandoning our natural resources in the head of this of, of the of this of this uh, aid. The problem also is that the aid never comes. There have been a lot of promises made by a lot of of wealthy countries to to the African continent. Those promises have, have, have come up short. And this is not time for us to abandon our resources in the name of more promises that I am personally very skeptical that they would comply with the promises that they have made. The first thing is that what about the ones they made in the past and they didn't comply with? How are we going to really deal with that right now? I think many people around Africa would rather prefer we drive up our energy future. We create our markets. We build pipelines to connect Africa. Use the Africa Continental Free Trade Free Trade Act. We we shut down tariffs. Open it up for us to get natural gas and for us to even look at nuclear energy. for It's like what we've been discussing with many countries, including Russia and China, to see and even some Western countries to look at SMRs. Let us develop that rather than wait for aid that would not come and promises to save Africa that never happened.
0: China has also been doing uh, a lot of Development work in Africa. A number of multi billion dollar projects and deals have been struck by the Chinese. Any thoughts on how this will impact the economy in Africa and the future relations with China?
1: I think China continues to be a very strong partner of African countries, continues to be a very strong partner of our continent as a whole. And, you know, I'm someone who went to school in the United States. Everything I know is about America and Europe. But we have to admit, $260 260 billion dollars in investment from China just this year alone, compared to maybe 40 to 50 billion from other Western countries. That is a huge gap, and I think the Chinese have understood that you can work with Africans and really get conditions met. Has everything always been perfect? No, but can we continue working on this relationship? Years and I think we then now recognize that if we work together. If we look at really finding key infrastructure and energy projects that work, there is a chance to build it. But at at the same time, we also want to ensure that this benefits Africa strongly and bigly. And part of that is looking at how to rekindle this relationship to tell the Chinese that a lot of the supply chain has to be done in Africa. So we create African jobs. So Africa cannot just be a consumer, but also a producer using Chinese technology to drive that. So give you an example on the clean energy side, Chinese are looking at building massive electrolyzers to produce um, hydrogen across the continent, green hydrogen and blue hydrogen. But they want to start seeing how they can install that within the continent and drive the renewable supply chain within the continent. That's something that I welcome, and I think it will go a long way to leave an indelible experience in the hearts of many Africans because we see ourselves as part of our own growth and we are walking hand in hand, shoulder to shoulder with international partners. That is very important.
0: If African states are able to access and harness their own energy resources, hydrocarbon and others, what will the continent look like in 20, 30, 50 years from now?
1: Number one, we beat energy poverty. 600 million people without electricity, we beat that. That is what that should be our goal by 2050. We don't have much time. Number two, we become part of the climate solution because producing natural gas. If we produce all the natural gas for in Africa, climate um, um, our greenhouse gas emissions will go up just by 0.65 percent. That is a very tiny bit. Number three, the other thing that we have to look is that we bring hope to so many young girls that don't have any hope and we drive up industrialization. Western nations need to decarbonize and they need to decarbonize today. African nation, African nations need to industrialize and industrialize quickly. But we curb on this immigration problem that young Africans have to only dream to go abroad to Europe or America or Dubai to find better, greener pastures and better opportunities. But then Africa, with 2.5 billion people by 2050, we start driving an African future, start performing real change, and start becoming economic contributor to the world's solution rather than a problem. But most importantly, Africa becomes a strong and equal partner on the global stage that stands shoulder to shoulder with every kind of international partners and gets the respect and the dignity that it deserves. That would be amazing because we have an Africa that is as good and as beautiful as the people that that live in it.
0: Now, as a follow up to that, N.J., by industrializing, having access to electricity. How does this impact poverty on the continent?
1: Without access to electricity, we are nothing. That's why you look at poverty growth continues, but poverty numbers continue to grow. We're trying to transition from burning wood into natural gas. That is real in Africa. That is real. But the other three issue is that without energy, we can't have industries, we can't have jobs, we can't go on vacations, we can't students can, can, can read in school, and a lot of um, issues around the content, whether it's with transportation or with even technological devices, you cannot use that. But when you look also look at heavy industry like steel and aluminum and other metals and even powering an industry like the mining industry that can play a big role in an energy transition when it comes to battery storage and all, and all of that with our massive reserves in copper and lithium and platinum and other critical rare earth minerals you can't you can't power that without electricity so this is not just about us trying to get rich by saying we need to produce natural gas. It's also by us being part of that solution and people have to recognize that if Africa is to play its role, it needs energy. We need to drive up natural gas because we need that right now. But at the same time, we embrace renewables. We have never been a people that do not want to see solar and wind. We embrace that, but we also recognize the intermittent nature of it. And we are seeing that energy poverty every day in South Africa right now. And that before I mean you was looking at for that reason the CEO of Eskom our national power company just resigned because of his inability to provide power to South Africans who are seeing six seven hours a day in the dark.
0: Now last If and when Africa is able to maintain consistent energy and and power to the population, how does this change geopolitics going forward? Will it be consistent with the estimation that the 21st century will become a multipolar world?
1: Absolutely, it becomes, Africa becomes the next China. Africa becomes the next India, it becomes a heavyweight and it, it puts a balance in power and that would bring world peace. It will bring equality in global dialogue. It will bring equality in global discussion. We would be able to work with each other with that mutual respect instead of the, a system that we are being bullied at or sometimes being lectured and being seen as second class. We will become first class nations, first class continent, first class people that are being respected and we start driving our own future, and taking part of that in our own hands. That is what works when we do that. And I think the struggle for this generation of Africans is to get there. And we are very close, but we need to hold firm. We need to drive up energy. We need to ask for a just energy transition so that we can get there and we can make our forefathers and ancestors proud that their children never gave up the fight of a strong, independent African continent.
0: NJ Ayuk, thank you so much for sharing your expertise with us. All right, that's going to do it for this week's episode of Modus Operandi, the show that digs deep into foreign policy. I'm your host, Manila Chan. Thank you for tuning in. We'll see you again next week to figure out the M.O.